I want to invite you now to turn in your Bible to Psalm 133 and Psalm 134. Uh, we're going to wrap up our series today in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, we've been looking at these for the past several weeks uh, leading up to Easter. And we've been saying over and over that these Psalms are really good at teaching us what it means to follow God, what it means to believe in God, what it means to believe in Jesus. Uh, when you put your faith in Christ, uh, the work of following God is not done. It's not as if you put your faith in Christ and then the next step is just go to heaven when you die. Now, there's so much more. There's a journey to take with God. Just like the Old Testament believers year after year made a trip up the mountain to go to the temple at Jerusalem to worship. So you and I are making our way through life, journeying through all different kinds of experiences and lessons with God. And each one of these Psalms has showed us something really important that we need to learn about that journey. Uh, here are these two psalms at the very end. There's a real treat in these psalms for us, uh, especially at a time like this, because these psalms remind us of this great lesson. You cannot follow Jesus alone. Uh, you need fellow travelers, and there's something absolutely beautiful about when believers gather together in unity with the Lord. Uh, so let's look together at Psalm 133 and 134. I'll read it to us. And we'll learn some things about the beauty of community. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And then Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may have heard the phrase before, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Well, I don't know about you. I've been feeling that way about a lot of different things during these past couple of weeks. These past couple of weeks seem like several months to me. And one of the things that I miss the most is the ability for us to physically gather together as God's people. I don't know if you miss that, but these Psalms right here are showing us why it is we may be longing for it. Now, I realize you may be listening in, and you're not really convinced that, of what these psalms are saying yet. Maybe you're not really sure why you, you need to have fellow travelers as you journey with God. It's very common for people to think, I know why I need Jesus, I know why I need God, I know why I need faith, and maybe some spiritual help or power, but I'm not really sure at all why I need the church. Why do I need other people to help me know and follow God? Well, whether you're convinced that you do need it or whether you're not convinced at all, there are some great things for us to learn here. There's a beauty of community that we cannot get any other way. There are some things that we miss when we're not able to gather together that we should be longing for and asking God in some way to continue to do even while we're apart. And so if you'll look more closely at these Psalms with me, and uh, we've provided a little outline for you on the website, there are three questions that I want to answer using these two psalms. Three questions about community. The first one is, uh, why is unity among God's people a good thing? Why is it good? The second question is, what are we missing when we don't have it? 
What are we missing when we don't have it? And then finally, what does Jesus do to make sure that we'll never fully lose it? Why is it good? What are we missing when we don't have it? And what is it that Jesus does to help us make sure that we never lose it completely? First of all, why is it good? It's very clear here in Psalm 133 especially that it is a great thing, an awesome thing, for God's people to be at one together praising Him, like physically present together, listening to God's voice and calling out on His name and praising Him. Look at what it says there in verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people, or as it says in the original language, when when, when the brothers live together in unity. Now, when it talks about the brothers there, it doesn't just mean the men and the boys. Uh, Brothers, the brothers, was an Old Testament way of describing all of Israel. You see, God's great mission, the whole Bible really is about a mission that God has in the world. God's great mission is not just to save individual people one by one, but God's great mission from the beginning of time to now is to save his whole people. God is on a mission to gather a family from out of all of the nations and to bring them together in his presence so that they might know him, love him, and serve him in the world. This is saying it's a beautiful thing, a pleasant thing, a sweet thing, when that family of brothers and sisters, when those who believe in God and have been called by his name, get together and learn how to live at peace and in harmony with one another. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. He describes it with two really beautiful pictures in the psalm, if you noticed it. And these pictures require some explanation because they're admittedly kind of foreign to us. In verse 2, he says that the unity of God's people is like oil being poured on the head of Aaron, the high priest. It says it's like the oil poured on his head, running down on his beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. That's kind of foreign, but what it's describing is uh, what it says in in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. After Moses rescued the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, God chose Moses' brother Aaron to be the high priest. And Moses had to create this special oil, this special blend of oil to pour on Aaron's head and on the, on the sons of Aaron to anoint them and ordain them to be priests. That oil was a sign of God's presence. It was supposed to be a sign of his commitment to work among the priests and to work through them among the people. In other words, oil was really an Old Testament symbol of God's presence and power to work among his people. Then he goes on to say, the unity of God's people is also like dew. It's like the dew on, of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. That picture may even be more foreign to us, uh, unless you happen to be an expert in uh, Israeli geography. Mount Hermon was the tallest mountain in all of Israel, way up in the north of the country. It was over 9,000 feet tall. And, and they say that at the top of Mount Hermon, every night, the dew falls in such a heavy measure that if you left something outside, it would be completely soaked the next day. Mount Zion, by contrast, is a lot smaller of a mountain. It's also down in the south near the desert area. It doesn't get the same kind of dew that Mount Hermon does. This is saying when God's people are together, it's like on Mount Zion where the temple is, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon is coming to rest. It's like a miracle is happening. 
dew is coming to the desert. Both of these pictures, the picture of oil on Aaron's head, the picture of dew on Mount Zion, is a picture of the proof of God's work in our lives. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. The reason why the gathering together of God's people, the reason why our unity together as God's people is so good and so beautiful is because it's there that God proves his work the most. He proves his work among among us the most through that action of gathering his people together. One of the first things that God ever said about human beings in Genesis chapter 2 is it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. You and I were not made to be loners or lone rangers. We were made for one another. We were made for community. Sin broke all that up. Even as it separated us from God, it Sin separates us from one another. And yet when God sent his son Jesus into the world, the first thing that Jesus came to do is not only to reconcile us back to God, to bring us back into relationship with him, Jesus also came to bring us back together as one family. And so on the night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed a famous prayer. He said, God, I pray that you would make everyone who believes in me one. Make them one. Make them united so that the world would believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Father, the proof that your work through me worked, the proof that it's real is when God's people actually begin to agree. They begin to love one another. They begin to pull together to stand shoulder to shoulder, obeying you, God, and worshiping you with all of their hearts, believing the same thing, loving the same things. You see, community, that the church, is something absolutely vital to everybody's walk of faith. Without it, we're missing this huge piece of the puzzle, this proof that God really is present at work in the world. It's a little bit like this. Um, How do... How do coaches of teams get judged? I mean, think about, for example, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He doesn't get judged on his job performance based on whether his players have good individual workouts in the offseason. He's not going to be fired or he's not going to be given a raise because those workouts go good or bad. No, the coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks is going to be judged by one thing only. How does the whole team come together and play each game? Is the team as a whole going to be able to win games or not? What Jesus is saying, what this psalm is saying is, it's like oil on the head. It's like dew on the mountains. When God's people come together, it's the perfect place to judge and know whether the work of God is powerful powerful or not. You see, God's people are diverse. God's people come from so many different backgrounds. They're scattered all around the world. They speak so many different languages. They they have so many different personality types. Even within each individual church, we're so different. And yet when we get united around Jesus, it demonstrates to ourselves and to the world, God is really among us. So the question this morning is, do you see how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity? Do you understand the value of the church? of the community being physically present together. If you don't, there may be good reasons for that. I know many people, I've experienced this myself, many people have have experienced great hurt in church communities. And yet, these psalms, even in our hurt, is speaking to us of a higher vision. 
It's speaking to us of God's design for the church rather than the ways that we as humans admittedly mess things up all the time. That's the first thing. That's why it's good when God's people get together. Now, secondly, what do we really miss out on when we lack the physical ability to unite together, very much like uh, we currently lack it? Well, I want you to notice there in Psalm 133, the end of verse 3, that we lack something far more than just a tiny detail of the Christian life. Sometimes we think, you know, the main thing is that I just have a personal, private relationship with God. My connection to the church is just details. That's not what it says here. It says, there on Mount Zion, there where the people of God gather, do you see that in verse 3? There, the Lord bestows his blessing. What blessing does the Lord bestow? He bestows life forevermore. Life forevermore. Another way to say life forevermore is eternal life. The very thing that Jesus came into the world to bring, it says here in this verse, is something that he gives us, not just individually, he gives it to us in Mount Zion. He gives it to us in the community where God's people gather together. This is teaching something that the Bible says all throughout. It's not saying that you're saved by going to church. It's not, saved that anybody, it is, it's not saying that anybody is right with God because they keep a good attendance record at church or because they volunteer a lot at the church. It's not teaching that, but it is at least teaching this. And I want you to hear this. It's teaching that even if you are saved because you believe in Jesus, if you're not participating in the unity of God's people, you're not going to be able to fully enjoy your salvation in the way that you would if you had a share and a place in the community. There is something irreplaceable about gathering together like Mount Zion, gathering together like God's people in one unity. We can't expect to find it any other place. It would be a little bit like if one of your kids complained of being hungry, but yet refused to come to the dinner table at dinner time. You would probably say to them, it's your own fault. You know, here at the dinner table, this is where I, mom, I, dad, have appointed for you, children of mine, to come and be fed. If you refuse to come here, I can't really help you much. And yet, that is often, isn't, it? isn't that often, the way you and I treat the, the gathering of, of believers, the, the community of the church? We think that somehow we're just going to accidentally get fed. Somehow we're just going to accidentally grow spiritually instead of coming to the place where it says here in Psalm 133, God has appointed that place. Like a mom or a dad appoints the dinner table. He's appointed the church as the place where we receive forgiveness and blessing and life and and strength. This is the very thing. If you're like me, maybe you're out there and you you are a committed Christian and you're, you're feeling it these past couple of weeks. You're feeling the the longing for what you're missing because we're not able to be together physically. I know I'm feeling that. I was thinking this week of reasons why I miss it so much. I couldn't figure out why I miss being with you so much. And then I was reminded of all the different things the Bible says about us getting together. And here's just a sample, just four little things that I thought. The first thing I miss is how how great it is for us to read the Bible and pray together. There's just something better about that than me praying and reading on my own. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's good, and that's something that all of us 
benefit immensely from reading the Bible and praying alone. But there is just something about hearing the Bible when read by your voice. There's something about praying, and it's not just me praying, it's me hearing you pray. It's us together encouraging one another in prayer. Another thing I miss is when I get to look at your life, I get to see in living color proof that God is at work among people. It's like looking in the mirror and trying to see ways that you've changed over the years. Isn't that really hard to do? It's hard for us to see changes in ourselves. Just like it is physically, it's, it's hard spiritually for us to see what God is doing in our own lives. But when we're with each other, when we get to share our lives together, I can look at your life and I can see far better, far clearer that God is really at work. Another thing I miss, the, the third thing I miss is I, we don't get the chance when we're not physically together to fulfill the many one another commands that you find all throughout the Bible. The Bible has so many one another commands. What do I mean? I mean, I, mean, I, I listed out probably like 30 or 40 different times where in the New Testament it says, do this to one another, do that to one another. Here's some examples of it. It says, love one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another, instruct one another, greet one another, wait for one another, care for one another, comfort one another, agree with one another, submit to one another, be kind to one another. Encourage one another, do good to one another, pray with one another, and confess your sins to one another. That's just a, a small sample, a very small sample of all the ways that the, the New Testament says to us, I want you to take the, the love that God has poured in your heart, I want you to take the gifts that God has given you, and I don't want you to just keep it to yourself. I want you to get together as a community, and I want you to share one with another. I want you to take what God has put in, and I want you to pour it out for the benefit of your neighbor. Those are, those are just a, a few of the things that, that as I, over the past couple of weeks, have missed being with you, those are the few of the reasons why I've discovered that I have. Maybe, maybe that's something that you can relate to. And here, as your pastor, I just want to encourage you, continue to pursue those things in the way that you have been doing. Uh, we can't physically be together, but we can text one another. We can call one another. We can email one another. We can get on Zoom calls like some of our community groups or small groups have done. Certainly, we can gather together here online and, and worship together. Keep doing that because you see the work of God, even though it ordinarily requires us to be able to physically be with one another, the work of God yet can still go on by his spirit even while we're apart. That's the second thing. That's what we're missing when we lack the ability to unite together physically. But thirdly and lastly today, I want us to see in these Psalms what Jesus does to ensure that we will never fully lose our unity together. We'll never fully lose it. Coronavirus can't take it from us because of what Jesus has done to secure it. And here I'm referring to Psalm 134. Psalm 134 is the last of all the Psalms of Ascent. And it's a great, it's like the, the end of a fireworks show. You know, the, the end of the fireworks show is always the most magnificent part. And here, Psalm 134 is the most magnificent of all the Psalms of Ascent. It's really a plea to the priests who were working in Jerusalem to keep doing what they were doing, praising God and blessing God. Keep representing us 
they are saying to the priests, so that as you represent us, God would then continue to shower his blessings on us. I want you to see it by looking again at Psalm 134. It says there in verse 1, Praise the Lord, you servants of the Lord. That's talking to the priests. You who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Do you see that? That their praises go up, their blessing of God goes up, and as a result, God's blessing comes down from Zion. He who is the maker of heaven and earth. This is teaching us something really important about the work of Jesus. You see, just like the priests in the Old Testament were given the responsibility of representing God's people around the clock, morning and night. It says there in verse 2, you minister by night in the house of the Lord. The priests had day shift and they had night shift. They were supposed to offer sacrifices. They were supposed to offer their prayers around the clock, representing the whole nation so that by their representation, God would love and bless and shower his people with goodness. And I want to tell you today, that is exactly why Jesus, all those years ago, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. You know, I said at the beginning of the service, it was a strange thing for a king to ride on a donkey. That was not the usual thing. If, if you wanted to show yourself to be powerful, you would choose a strong, powerful war horse. You would ride on a horse with a sword at your side. And yet Jesus rode on a donkey, and it wasn't even his donkey. He had to borrow it from some random guy on the street. And yet, as he rode in, everybody praised him as king. Why did he do that? He did that because he wanted to show he's a different kind of king. He's a humble king. He's a priest king. And so it said in Mark 9, as he rode the donkey into Jerusalem, the first place he went was to the temple. He went there and he looked around. He saw all the priests who were serving on day shift and the ones who were coming in to serve on night shift. And it says all throughout that week leading up to his death, every day Jesus went to the temple and he went there to pray and he went there to teach the people. He served God and he blessed the people in the temple of Jerusalem until the very last night of his life. Instead of going to the temple, he went out to the garden of Gethsemane and there Jesus went on night shift for you and I. Jesus poured his heart out before his father. You may remember it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, let it pass. But if, but if not, nevertheless, your will be done and not mine. What was he talking about with that cup? The cup in the Old Testament was often a symbol of God's judgment, of God's separation from sinners, of God's punishment on people who've rebelled against him. And yet Jesus, our priest, on night shift praying, received that cup of God's judgment. And the next day when he went before Pilate and he went before Herod and he was condemned to die and he stretched himself out on the cross, he was laying his life down as a sacrifice, drinking the cup right down to the bottom for you and I, doing the work of a priest so that because of Jesus' around-the-clock service of God, you and I might come into everlasting blessing. Now I want to show you, this is exactly why, no matter why we're separated by space right now, <clears throat> doesn't matter that the coronavirus is keeping us from being able to meet. 
If your faith is in Jesus Christ, that's what unites us. Jesus is our priest so that we could be united to him and united to each other so that we could serve God as priests too in our smaller way, imitating Jesus in his greater way, serving us as priests. That's the tie that binds Christians together. It's not physical proximity. It's not the color of their skin. It's not the, their political persuasion. Those aren't the things that ultimately unite Christians. What unites Christians is we have the same great high priest who served on the, on the same night shift for us, who drank the same cup of God's wrath for us so that we could forever, all the rest of our lives, drink God's blessing. There's this great, this great scene in Paul's life. Paul was one of the early Christians who followed Jesus. And he was leaving this city called Ephesus. He had spent a lot of time there. He had helped start churches there. But he had to leave, and he knew he would never be able to go back. And so one day he was on the beach with the, the leaders of the Ephesian church, and they were just weeping because they knew they would never see each other again. They knew even though they were fellow Christians, they would be separated by space. And so they wept. And yet, I love this part. This is in Acts 20. As they wept, Paul said to the Ephesians, but I commend you, I commit you to the grace of God. Because it's by the grace of God that you're built up. And it's by the grace of God that you have a place in God's inheritance. You have a place in his family. Do you see what Paul saw? By faith in Jesus Christ, space can't separate us. Time can't separate us. Pandemics and diseases and even death itself can't separate us. The word of Christ's grace gives each of us an everlasting place in God's presence. Now, you may be listening this morning and you're already convinced of this. You've already turned from your sins and you've put your faith in Jesus at some point in your life. If that's true of you, I wonder, do you know what you got? <laughs> Do you know how good it is to be a member of God's family? How good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity? Won't you join me in praying that God would bless our world and, and, and heal us and protect us from this coronavirus? Would you pray and long with me for the day when we will hopefully very soon be able to get back together? But I realize you also may be listening to this this morning or watching this. And your faith isn't in Christ, or maybe you're not sure if your faith is in Christ or not. I hope you're hearing these psalms. These psalms are an expression of what Jesus is offering you. He's offering you not that you would give up your good life and embrace a dull life of religious drudgery. He is inviting you to the only life that is really life. He's inviting you to know the great high priest who has married us forever and married us to one another in a way that cannot be broken. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your goodness. How good and pleasant it is for us to gather in unity. And this morning, even though we're all around Mulberry and all around Polk County and Lakeland and Bartow, wherever we're at watching this, God, yet by faith in Jesus Christ, we're so united together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, give us the gift of faith, give us a delight and a joy in knowing you together with your people like we've never had it before. Use this time, 
this time of the stay-at-home order in Florida. Use that to stir our hearts, to stop neglecting the gifts we've been given. But teach us to long for you and to long for each other. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our great high priest. Amen.